Hello everybody, welcome back to another episode of Caffeinated Bible Chatter. We got the, the word in front of us, the coffee's on the way, I think. Preach. Uh, <laughs> yeah, but uh, yeah, this is Kyle Shields. I'm sitting here with Dylan Brown. How's it going? Man, it's going good. Uh, it is, like you said, it'll be going better when the coffee gets here. Yes. We've got uh, our marketing manager, as we speak, is getting that prepped and ready. So we appreciate her and all that she does for the show. It's uh, it's a full time job. She's probably underpaid. Yeah. Um, but it's uh, once we get the coffee, it'll be going real good because we already got the Bibles open, the notes out, the mic is hot, and we're ready to roll. Ready yep. to make it happen. That's right. Uh, so if you missed last week's episode, we talked about the Great Tribulation. Um, yeah, just go check that one out if you didn't hear any of that. But uh, so this week we're going to talk about the judgment seat, and this is obviously for believers, the judgment seat of Christ, um, and this is going on while that tribulation we talked about last week is taking place. So we're going to jump into this thing and, and see where it goes. Yeah. So like uh, Kyle said, we're we're just because we're trying to go in sequential order for the way things have been laid out um, from the rapture on. That's what all this. I don't know, I guess ever since like our fourth episode, I think. This is our eighth, I believe. So either from our fourth or fifth episode on, we've just been laying this out in sequential order. And so, yeah, we covered the rapture, uh, talked about the timing of that, just kind of as a sidebar, and covered the, uh, the tribulation. And then, yeah, this is going on simultaneously as uh, the, the tribulation. So... Um, Judgment seat of Christ. Okay, so we talked about again with the rapture. What happens? Well, the the church, those that are uh, that know Christ. Okay, the the dead, uh, the, the, those that are dead in Christ, they rise first, and then we, which are alive and remain, um, and we, of course, we meet Christ in the air. And at that point, and we'll actually maybe start here. I didn't necessarily have my Bible open here, but uh, if you have a Bible, or if uh, I would turn here, but if not, you can just listen. But again, this is the way the Book of Revelation is laid out. So Revelation again, verse uh, or chapter one through three, talks about the church a lot. It's the church this, the church that. You know, there's seven different churches there, and then Revelation four, we talk, we have laid out before. You can go to see old episodes to to see more of this. But how John is a picture of the uh, the church, and he's the author of of Revelation, obviously through the inspiration of the Holy Spirit. And it says in verse uh, 1 of chapter 4, he says, After this I looked, and behold, a door was opened in heaven. And the first voice which I heard was as it were of a trumpet talking with me, which said, Come up hither. So that is a picture of the rapture of the church. And then what's interesting is, verse 2, it says this, And immediately, so no delay, And immediately I was in the Spirit, and behold, a throne was set in heaven and one sat on the throne. So, and then we don't have the tribulation necessarily taking effect until chapter 6. So, uh, for, 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 so for those of us that know Christ, man, it's immediately after the rapture, we are going to be standing eyeball to eyeball with Christ doing this whole thing uh, of the judgment seat. So, uh, now, I have often wondered and people have often asked, like, how is that exactly going to shake out? As far as what is that going to look like, uh, you know, I, I remember as a kid and a teenager, many people would even speculate that this is going to be some type of PowerPoint, uh, you know, presentation. I sure hope not. 
that that seems that seems scary if the Lord Jesus is going to use a PowerPoint for our lives after coming to Christ. But uh, I don't know. I, I'm not sure exactly what all that that would look like. Uh, the only thing I would say is if you, because we're going to go to Second Corinthians five and Romans fourteen. Those are the two references that actually use the phrase judgment seat, and where that uh, that phrase gets its its meaning or where that why that phrase is used is because it was a Roman thing. So if you cross-reference judgment seat in the Bible, you're going to see it show up a couple times in the Gospels, and it's referencing Pilate. So like John 19.13 says, When Pilate therefore heard that saying, he brought Jesus forth and sat, and sat down in the judgment seat in a place that is called the pavement, but in Hebrew, Gabbatha. Okay, so... I don't know exactly all what it'll be like, and I'm sure it's not going to be exactly like Pilate's judgment seat, but it is that effect. If you think back to the Roman, uh, you know, court of law and how they did things, and and what all that probably looked like with somebody sitting up, you know, elevated, at uh, you know, in a seat that they were judging whatever the situation was going on. That is the way at least Christ describes it uh, in the Bible. So we have to. That's why it's often referred to as the bema seat. And those kind of things. So, uh, let's let's maybe do this. Let's read. Um, Mikhail, if you want to read Second Corinthians five, maybe uh, Nine, maybe twelve. Or yeah, yeah, that's cool. And then I'll read Romans fourteen. Second right. Corinthians chapter five, starting in verse nine. Wherefore we labor that whether present or absent we may be accepted of Him. For we must all appear before the judgment seat of Christ, that every one may receive the things done in his body according to that he hath done, whether it be good or bad. Knowing therefore the terror of the Lord, we persuade men, but we are made manifest unto God, and I trust also are made manifest in your consciences. For we commend not ourselves again unto you, but give you occasion to glory on our behalf, that ye may have somewhat to answer them, which glory in appearance and not in heart. All right, and, and these are just references. We're just going to the main two. Like So if you, if you want to study this out on your own, the main passages for the judgment seat where it's actually mentioned is Second Corinthians 5. That's where Kyle just read at. And then the other one's Romans 14. Okay, a third passage I would suggest is 1 Corinthians 3, which we're going to go to, which doesn't talk about, which doesn't use the phrase judgment seat, but he's picturing the things that are going on at the judgment seat. Um, so, or not just picturing, but just flat out laying it out. Um, so those will be the places that if you want to do your own study on this, that uh, you can do that. And also another sidebar, if, if you, I'm not sure if the audio is picking up this massive storm that we have going on uh, right now, but if it is, I'm sorry. And that's what that rumble is if it's picking up. So just want to lay that out there. Okay, so Romans 14 is the other passage. Let's see. Verse 10 says, but why, uh, but why dost thou judge thy brother, or why dost thou set it not thy brother? For we shall all stand before the judgment seat of Christ. For it is written, as I live, saith the Lord, every knee shall bow to me, and every tongue shall confess to God. So then every one of us shall give account of himself to God. So, that's not the only for, only time in our Bible that the, the, that the phrase, everyone will bow, will take a knee to Christ, and that every tongue will confess that he is Lord. Okay, that's also mentioned, I think, in Philippians chapter 2. So everybody, regardless, regardless of 
if they're going to be at the judgment seat or not, every single person will bow to Christ and confess who he is. Obviously, those of us that are saved, we will do that physically uh, in person at this judgment seat, which again happens after the rapture. So just to, uh, as Kyle has already, already reiterated, just to conf- uh, clear any confusion, there is more than one judgment in the Bible. Uh, there's actually several, um, but specifically the most, the most two popular are the two that would be represented in people today in the church age, whether lost or saved, would be the judgment seat of Christ and the great white throne judgment. So I don't know, we don't plan this far ahead. I don't know if we'll do an episode on the great white throne judgment by itself. It probably would be a short episode, I feel like, maybe not. But uh, the great white throne judgment happens, doesn't happen till the tribulation will pass, the millennium takes place, the thousand year reign, which is the millennium. And then after that, the judgment, I mean, the, uh, excuse me, the great white throne judgment takes place. And that is found in Revelation chapter 20. So that is where the Lord does the whole, uh, you know, depart from me and never knew you. And death and hell are cast into the lake of fire. And that is where those that don't know Christ will spend eternity from that point on moving forward. So that is not the same thing. The great white throne judgment is not the same thing as the judgment seat of Christ. So it's important that you understand that um, just to keep everything on, uh, you know, in a, on, on an even kill. So a few things that we can, we, we can kind of look, we can kind of talk about here just to, to lay this whole thing out. We just want to broad brush the judgment seat, kind of like we did last week with the great white throne ju- or with the uh, great tribulation. Sorry, again, no coffee. Coffee's coming, bear with me. Who knows what will be said until that happens. So number one, the first, the first thing that I would, I would make mention of is that the judgment seat is for all believers. So I just said that the judgment seat uh, is for believers and not for lost people. Okay, But it is for all believers. It's important that we remember that. So because it is for believers, this is, there's not going to be something where we go up, we go up into, into to heaven at the throne and all of a sudden... Uh, Christ says, why should I let you in? You know, we, we use that kind of question, and we use that phrase a lot. Uh, and I want, to put, I want to say, I want to put a pause here because our, our marketing manager has just dropped off the coffee. Again, she is, uh, it's Tori. And for those that don't know, she does a great job, and she's underpaid severely. We got the coffee, and we're ready to go. Uh, thank you. Anyway, uh, what was I saying? So this is not going to be some moment. The judgment seat is not going to be a moment where we get up there and Christ says, why should I let you into heaven? Okay, if we're at the judgment seat, there's no question about it. We're saved. Like, we were, that's what this is for. So there's, there is none of that. Now, we use that, and there's nothing wrong with that. We use that to evangelize. Like, you know, you can ask a soul or ask somebody, um, what would you say if Christ asked you why, you know, why he should let you in heaven? And if their answer is anything other than, you know, Christ alone and his finished work plus nothing, then... Well, then we know that their answer ain't going to work, and they need to get that answer to be their answer. Uh, but that's not what's shaken out here in the judgment seat, okay? So, but notice again, number one, the judgment seat is for all believers. There's no believer in the church age. And again, see dispensationalism, those episodes for, for that. If you have a problem with understanding the differences of, the, of church age saints versus tribulational saints or Old Testament saints, there is a difference. Uh, but again, it is for all believers. So I want you to notice that in these in these verses here. Again, that we already read, but just notice the word, and we'll we'll highlight it for emphasis. Uh, but Kyle, if you got 
Second Corinthians five to uh, still. If you want to read um, verse ten, uh, yeah. For we must all appear before the judgment seat of Christ, that every one may receive the things done in his body, according to that which he hath done, whether it be good or bad. So notice again that the the verse says we must all. Now the we there is you got to understand the audience, this context here. He's he's writing. Paul's writing to the church of Corinth. These are people in 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 Christ, part of the body of Christ. Okay, so he says we must all appear. Very obvious. And then he says in that same verse that everyone may receive the things in his body. Okay, so every single person is going to this judgment seat that's saved, and every single person that is at this judgment seat, which is all Christians, is going to receive something. Okay. All right, Romans 14.10. This would also show us that every single believer has to go through this. It says, But why dost thou judge thy brother, or why dost thou set it not thy brother? For we shall all stand before the judgment seat of Christ. Okay, one more reference again, 1 Corinthians 3, verse 13. Every man's work shall be made manifest, for the day shall declare it because it shall be revealed, revealed by fire, and the fire shall try every man's work of what sort it is. So there you see again, specifically talking about every single person. Man in the Bible is, is to my mankind. All right, so the judgment seat is for all believers. Unfortunately, I wish there was a loophole in this to avoid this as a believer, because if there was, I'd be very interested in avoiding it. And, uh, but unfortunately, we can't find that in Scripture. All right, the coffee's good. She did well. All right, number two, and Kyle, as, as always, just butt in if, if I say something uh, heretical or you just want to say something in general. Uh, but number two, the judgment seat, okay, what's the purpose of it? We've already read some verses, and, and if, you, if, you, if you've never heard about the subject or don't know a lot about it, you could have picked up what it's about just from the verses we already read. But number two, the judgment seat is to reveal our works. So the judgment seat is to reveal our works. So again, as we just said, this is not a judgment to see if someone is going into heaven or not. That is already the fact that you were raptured up to this judgment seat. Again, shows that you were in Christ. Um, but Second Corinthians five ten. Note. So again, we're just going to keep going through these same same references and just breaking down the different sections of the verse. But it says, "For we must all appear before the judgment seat of Christ." So every one of us. Now, what for? That everyone may receive the things done in his body according to, uh, according to that he hath done. Notice that. Something that was done, whether it be good or bad. So this is a judgment that is based on what we've done after coming to Christ. So now, that's not salvation, of course, because salvation is not about what we do. It's about what Christ did. It's not a do gospel. It's a it's a done gospel, and the, and Christ is the one that covered all of that, all of the all of the work necessary. It's free for us, of course, and so it's a, it, this judgment is, is is about revealing our works. Okay, and then First Corinthians three says this again, verse thirteen: Every man's work shall be made manifest, for the day shall declare it, because it shall be revealed by fire. And the fire shall try every man's work, there it is again, of what sort it is. So, so again, the, the timeline for 
what's what God is judging our works based on in this judgment seat is from the moment you called upon Christ for, for eternal life until the rapture. Now again, just in case some of us die before the rapture. Now, see the timing of the rapture episode for further questions about that. But let's say that some of us do. The reason that I believe that it is it is until it is from the moment of salvation for that individual until the rapture is because somebody can still continue to gain rewards even after dying. Now, uh, how would that be the case? Well, I think it's is it in, I think it's in Esther, but Esther talks. There's a verse in Esther. No, it's in, is it Nehemiah? Let me let me. I just thought about this. Let me look this up. Um, let's see. Holy cow! The typo. The iPhone does is not uh, auto correcting friendly t- for the King James. Uh, let's see. Okay, it's in Hebrews eleven. I was way off. Hebrews eleven four says it talks about somebody being dead but their life continuing to speak. So Hebrews 11.4 says, By faith Abel offered unto God a more excellent sacrifice than Cain, by which he obtained witness that he was righteous, God testifying of his gifts, and by it he being dead yet speaketh. So it's like this. Let's say that you have led a soul, you lead a soul to Christ before, before, uh, before you die. You lead a soul to Christ. Let's say you invest the Word of God into that soul. You disciple that person. You help them build them up in the faith. You help them grow in their faith and the Word of God. And then let's say you die. And then let's say that that person then goes and invests in somebody else and, and they bear fruit in, with that person's life. Okay, that, that, those are things that are being attributed to, to the work that you have invested in somebody else. And so... Just like with Abel, somebody's life can continue continue to speak after they die. So that is why, very clearly, I believe in the, the timeline of Revelation, that the judgment seat comes after the rapture, not after. So it's not like if I die, I'm immediately at the judgment seat. No, no, it comes after the rapture. That is why uh, those that are that are dead rise first, and then we which are alive and remain shall be caught up together with them in the clouds. Okay, so it's after that point. All right, so... Again, the judgment seat is not about our salvation. That it's not about our sin. Okay, our sin was covered at at the uh, with Christ's finished work on the cross, but it is about our works, and, and unfortunately, it can be about bad works, which is kind of close to saying sin. Uh, so it's kind of a yeah. it's kind of a funny thing there, but it, it's specifically about our works after after coming uh, to Christ. So. Kyle, let's maybe flip around a few verses here. If you want to go to uh, John 17, and I'm going to go to, actually, go to John 4, John 4, 34. I'm going to go to John 17. So, so this is the question. If it's about our works, oh, I'm almost wondering if I want to save this for the end. Yeah, yeah, let's, 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 let's abort that mission. All right, sorry. John We're 4. raw and real. Let's not do, yeah, we'll go okay. to that at the end. I'm going to save that to the end. Um, okay, so number one, what have we laid out here? We've laid out that the judgment seat is for all believers. 
we've number two laid out in the judgment seat is to reveal our works. So what we so Jesus cares about works. Now he doesn't use those to save us in this dispensation, but he cares a whole lot about them. It's part of sanctification. As I say, just to make that fully clear and not not works for salvation after salvation, right? Yeah. We're we're already raptured, so we know we're saved. Right. This is this is works after that. <laughs> right. Yeah. So it's all so Christ is very is very interested in us working, just not working to get saved. He's working. Right. He's interested in us working because we got saved, and what we us you know what we do with the grace of God. So like I think Paul says in First Corinthians fifteen, he says um, that it pretty much talks about his stewardship of the grace of God. He talks about God giving his grace and God giving him his grace, and that was that that fact was not in vain. So a good question to ask ourselves is, man, is the grace of God in my life, uh, is it in vain? I mean, like, am I, am, I, am I a good steward of his grace? Like, is, his, is the fact that he has distributed his grace to me in salvation, but not only salvation, but in my everyday life, and the, the ability to live this Christian life through him, the fact that he's given me the word of God, and, and the fact that I have access to him in prayer, all these different things, are those things, am I being a good steward with that grace? That's really what, what it's all about. So, again, number two, the judgment seat is to reveal our works. Okay, the, number, the third thing I'd lay out is that the judgment seat is a terrifying thing. Now, here's where we get to it. Here's where it kind of gets, uh, you know, like I said, if, if we could avoid this, I would certainly be interested in that. But the judgment seat is a terrifying thing. Uh, so... Uh, Kyle, if you want to go to, uh, are you still at Second Corinthians five? Uh, I get there real quick. All right, if you want to go Second Corinthians five, I'm gonna go to I'm gonna go to Second uh, Timothy one. So these references we're about to hit are Second Corinthians five ten, and and uh, I'm sorry, Second Corinthians five eleven, and Second Timothy one sixteen through eighteen. Maybe read verse ten with it, big guy. Okay. For we must all appear before the judgment seat of Christ, that everyone may receive the things done in his body according to that. He hath done, whether it be good or bad. Verse 11, Knowing therefore the terror of the Lord, we persuade men, but we are made manifest unto God, and I trust also are made manifest in your consciences. So what people will actually do is they'll take this verse 11. This is the importance of context when you're studying the Bible. Because if I just read verse 11 without verse 10, it says, Knowing therefore the terror of the Lord, we persuade men. Now what that sounds like is, that we're trying to lead people to Christ. We're trying to persuade men because of the terror of the Lord. Like, man, hell is a scary thing. And it is. Uh, but that's not the context of this verse. Now, we should be persuading lost people to come to Christ because of the realities of, of a, they need a relationship with Jesus, that hell is very real, uh, all those things. But again, the context here is the judgment seat of Christ, for, according to verse 10. So coming off the heels of verse 10, the the judgment seat of Christ, again, notice verse 11. He says, knowing therefore. Now, therefore is a key word because you always, when you look at therefore, you always have to ask, what's it there for? Okay, so he's, he's branching verse 10. He's explaining, uh, or he's giving you uh, a, a command here or, or something to, to understand in verse 11 based off of the knowledge of verse 10. So he says, knowing therefore, so knowing about the judgment seat, Therefore, the terror of the Lord, we persuade men. Okay, so what Paul is saying here, again, is he's not saying 
we're persuading men to come to Jesus Christ, although he is certainly doing that too. That's evangelism. That's soul winning. Paul's doing that. But specifically what Paul's doing here is he's saying, man, we are seeking to persuade Christians. We are seeking to motivate people that know Christ to live for Christ and not live for themselves. Why, why would he be motivating, uh, seeking to motivate them to do that? Well, because he knows about the terror of the Lord. And the terror of the Lord is connected to the judgment seat of Christ, according to verse 10. So that's a, that's a sobering thing. The fact that we know this day is coming, the judgment seat of Christ. We know it's coming, and Paul says, man, knowing that stuff, and then he calls it the terror of the Lord. So again, uh, there are, will certainly be some regret and some, some terror there at that day for, for many of us. And why is that? Well, again, because we're, being, uh, we're receiving the things done in the body according to what we've done, whether good or bad. And unfortunately, some of that will be bad. Uh, and, and therefore, that's why it's called what it is. Okay, So a really interesting reference to, to mention, too, 2 Timothy 1, 16 and 18, through 18. It's, that, it's, it's this guy by the name of Onesiphorus. Now, I'll probably say that wrong, but uh, this guy is somebody that Paul has a relationship with, and this guy encouraged Paul. Paul's a missionary and doing his thing. This guy was a great uh, encouragement to him. So listen to these references here, verse 16 through 18 in 2 Timothy 1. It says, the Lord give mercy unto the house of Onesiphorus, for he oft refreshed me. So he, in other words, he was always lifting me up. For he, he oft refreshed me and was not ashamed of my chain. Verse 17, but when he was in Rome, he sought me out very diligently and found me. Now notice this. That's all the that's all the the praise he's given for this guy. But then notice what he's asking the Lord on the account of this guy uh, in this guy's life. Notice what he says in verse eighteen. He says, "The Lord grant unto him that he might that he may find mercy of the Lord in that day." And in how many things he ministered unto us at Ephesus, thou knowest very well. So it's a really weird deal. Now, what we know is this is the church age here in 2 Timothy 1. So he's not asking specifically for mercy at the second coming or anything to do with the tribulation. But that day would reference this judgment seat of Christ. And so he's literally, this is essentially what he's doing. He's coming to the Lord. He's like, look, man, this guy was a real blessing to me. Like, would you give him mercy when he stands before you? And I don't know, that's just kind of a crazy reference because it really shows us that Paul, Paul fully understood. Paul had a grasp and, and a real good understanding of, of, of what all this day you know, really means and what all is included in this day. And we, we've laid these things out and so far and laid out these references. Um, and, and there's still a lot to be said about 1 Corinthians 3, which we're going to get there. But we've laid these things out. But it's still really easy for me to live my life um, without the reality that the judgment seat of Christ is coming. Because that really should change our lives. It really should 
completely change my decision making, completely change the the way I view my life. It should completely change the what motivates me. It should just sober. It should make me sober minded, because I believe the rapture is close, like we said. And according to the Word of God, that is coming after the rapture. And so, and Paul had a great understanding of that, and it shows us to just how serious and possibly terrifying this day could be. All right. All right, so we've laid out the judgment seats for all believers. The judgment seat is to reveal our works. The judgment seat is a terrifying thing. And then number four, I'd lay this out, that the judgment seat is a day of rewards gained and things lost. So it's a day of rewards gained and things lost. We've already obviously read these references, but uh, 2 Corinthians 5.10, For we must all appear before the judgment seat of Christ, that everyone may receive the things done in his body according to that he hath done, whether good or bad. So again, notice the good would obviously reference the rewards being gained and the bad would be uh, things that are, are lost. And so we're going to go to 1 Corinthians 3 at this time. And if you want to maybe pull up first or uh, look up 1 Corinthians 3. And this is, so at, my, at, at the church that I attend, I always, or Tori knows this too, but I always joke that I always end up in 1 Corinthians 3. Like even if I'm teaching or preaching on something that has nothing to do with the judgment seat or nothing to do with 1 Corinthians 3, all of a sudden, like we're talking about prayer, and then all of a sudden I end up in 1 Corinthians 3. I just love this chapter. It's so motivating. Um, but this this is, this is gives us some insight on this whole deal of, of how we're going to be able to gain things and potentially how we're able to, unfortunately, lose things. And so, uh, Kyle, if you want to read uh, verse 11 through maybe verse 14. Yeah. First Corinthians three eleven. For other foundation can no man lay than that is laid, which is Jesus Christ. Now if any man build upon this foundation gold, silver, precious stones, wood, hay, stubble, every man's work shall be made manifest, for the day shall declare it, because it shall be revealed by fire, and the fire shall try every man's work of what sort it is. If any man's work abide which he hath built thereupon, he shall receive a reward. If any man's work shall be burned, he shall suffer loss, but he himself shall be saved, yet so as by fire. Okay, so here we have this deal um, where we're seeing, we're seeing two different people. We're seeing somebody that is, that is um, you know, they're receiving reward. You see that there in verse, uh, 14. verse 14. And then in verse 15, you have somebody that is suffering loss. Okay, and again, obviously the guy that has invested his work in, in good things, he is receiving reward. And the guy that would be categorized as the bad things, the bad work there in 2 Corinthians 5, this guy is suffering loss. So this is this is the simplest way to, to understand this. So verse 12 again. Okay, well, let's, let's, just, let's just kind of walk through it. So verse 11 again says, For other foundation can no man lay than that is laid, which is Jesus Christ. So... Again, talking to a church, but he's, he's laying out again the, the, the understanding that, man, the very foundation of our life, the very foundation and means of our salvation is Jesus Christ. So that's why any, you know, a church is able to have unity. It's because we're all, we're all, we all have the same foundation. If, we all, if, 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 if you're in a group of saved people, all those saved people have one thing in common— and that is that they personally 
came to Jesus Christ for, for salvation. They personally have Jesus Christ as their foundation. Okay? So no man can lay any other foundation. That's what Paul says. Like, he's it. If somebody, that's that's the problem with cults, and and and, and uh, I'm sure that one had to get picked yeah, up. That was loud. I heard that. Um, <laughs> anyway, but it, that's the problem with people that say, no, 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 the way you get saved is by doing, is by, you know, trust in Christ's work and being baptized, or trust in Christ's work and, you know, keeping the sacraments, or trust in, you know, Christ's work and anything. Okay, whenever you throw the and in there, you're trying to add to the foundation. There is no other foundation but Christ. That's the only, it's the only, he's the only way, he's the only foundation. Okay, but then he says in verse 12, now we're moving into the work side of things, which is after we've come to Christ. He says, now, if any man build upon this foundation, so we have the foundation of Christ, now he's talking about building upon that, which is us working the right work after we come to Christ. So he says, now, if any man build upon this foundation, gold, silver, and precious stones, wood, hay, and stubble. So the simplest way to understand this is these six things laid out here are actually in two categories. The first category is gold, silver, and precious stones. Now, when you put those type of things in, like, for instance, like precious stones, when you put those in fire, because that's what's trying these works, when you put precious stones in fire, it refines them. Okay, but if you try to put wood, hay, and stubble on fire, it burns it up, and then in a matter of moments, it's no longer there. It's gone. Okay, well, that is what happens with believers in their works at the judgment seat, because this is being tried by fire, is what it says. Uh, but so gold, silver, and precious stones, that represents somebody that has given their life to eternal things. So doing the things that God has called us to do. Those are eternal things. And then wood, hay, and stubble, that is somebody trying to build upon their foundation of Christ. In their life, they're focused and giving their life to temporal things. So, temporal things, when it's all said and done, they get burned up at the judgment seat of Christ because it's of no eternal value. Eternal things, they obviously remain and result in us receiving rewards. Why is that? Well, because at that point, we're in eternity in the only things that matter are eternal things. Okay? So, though that those are the, the two categories. Now, notice again what it results in. So, if, the, if, the, if, if person one has invested in the right things, gold, silver, and precious stones, we see in verse 13, every man's work shall be made manifest. So, every single person, whether you give your whole life to eternal things or you give your whole life to temporal things. Let's say you get saved and, you, and then you never tell one person about Christ you hardly pray, hardly read your Bible, all those things. Okay, still going to heaven, still have the foundation, but your work will still be made manifest. It just won't be on the good side. So every man's work shall be made manifest for the day, again, the judgment seat of Christ, shall declare it because it shall be revealed by fire. Now, just a sidebar, what is the fire coming from that he is going to... to, to revealed our works or manifest our works through or to try our works well i believe based on uh let's see based on a, f- a couple references revelation two eighteen, it says these things saith the son of god who hath 
his eyes like unto a flame of fire. Now, like means it's a similitude, so I definitely get that. But then Revelation 19.12 says a similar thing. It says his eyes were as a flame of fire. Again, as is also a comparative thing. It's a comparative word. It's a similitude. But nonetheless, his eyes, Christ's eyes, are continued to be compared to fire. So I believe when our works are laid out before Jesus Christ and he sets his eyes on them, his eyes will actually be the, the very thing that is trying our very works. And again, if it's temporal things, it burns it up. And if it's eternal things, well, it just refines them. And so I believe that is exactly how that's laid out. So uh, the fire shall try every man's work of what sort it is. And then verse 14, again, notice, so notice again the result. At the end of the day, one person invests in gold, silver, and precious stones, which is eternal things. And one person invests in wood, hay, and stubble, which is temporal things. Okay, the first guy is, is verse 14, which says, If any man's work abide, which he hath built thereupon, he shall receive a reward. So when his eyes get on that work, our, our works, and if it's gold, silver, and precious stones, it refines those things. Those things remain, and because of that, we, it's passed the test, we receive rewards. All right? But then verse 15 if any man's work shall be burned, well, what happens to wood, hay, and stubble with fire? It burns up. If any man's work shall be burned, he shall suffer loss. But notice this. But he himself shall be saved, yet so as by fire. So in other words, the fire is going to destroy the very, the very sum total of that person's life. But they're still going to heaven. They're saved from one thing, and that one thing is fire. They're saved, I mean, by the skin of their teeth, man. So it, it just lays out these, these, these two paths, which, again, is a sobering thing and should uh, motivate us into to serving the Lord and seeking eternal things. So this is, and you got to remember, this judgment seat and how we do based on rewards and how we do based on, unfortunately, the possibility of suffering loss, that is connected to the garments that we will have or won't have at the marriage supper of the Lamb, which is after the judgment seat. Which, and then that is connected with uh, the millennium. So if we do well at the judgment seat of Christ, we do well in the millennium. And again, the millennium, that's the thousand-year reign, and we'll say more about this. All this stuff overlaps. But that is where Christ is ruling and reigning from Jerusalem. And those that have suffered for the cause of Christ, they will rule and reign with Christ. And those that were living for temporal things, they, they won't. Okay, and I don't know exactly what all that looks like. I know that there's no condemnation. Those that are in Christ Jesus, I know that we'll still, you know. But, I, but again, there is a difference. So, uh, it, it, really, it really comes down to those two things. If we do well at the judgment seat, we do well at the marriage supper of the Lamb. We'll have good garments and everybody will be able to see it. And then if we do uh, well at the marriage supper of the Lamb because we did well at the judgment seat, well, therefore, we'll do good in the millennium. Now, let me say this. I didn't plan on going here, uh, Big Cow, but we'll, let's go to Revelation chapter, chapter 3. Verse 18? Yes. Yeah. yeah, let's bust <laughs> that. That's how I pulled up. <laughs> yeah, go ahead. Go ahead and bust that bad boy out. This was, so let's say this because this is a, a legitimate question. What's the point? of rewards like what's the point of crowns there's five crowns in the word of god what is the point of crowns 
considering we're going to be with Jesus? Like, what's because you know, like the whole deal is we receive rewards if if we've invested in eternal things and it passes the test of the fire and all those things. So why 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 what's the point of Christ giving us those crowns? Because we then we know that we just turn around and give them back to Him. Well, somebody could say, well, it's to it's to praise and glorify Him. Okay, well that is obviously correct. I agree with that. But that would be a very short thing. So me and Kyle believe that those rule. Uh, you believe that too, right, Kyle? I'm not, I, I, me and Kyle have talked about it. I, he, <laughs> yeah, he's thinking, well, you're kind of on your own, on an island on this one. <laughs> I just kind of throw Kyle in the lump without, you know, con, for sure knowing. But uh, this verse in Revelation 3.18, uh, or is it 3.18? Yeah, okay, actually, yeah. You know what I was actually thinking about? Let's go to that one. But I also wanted to go to... Um, Holy cow, where is that verse? Where is that daggum verse? Oh man, I'm gonna I'm gonna literally be ticked. What do you know about what it says? It's about or? the the walls of Jasper and all that stuff. Those 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 oh. rewards. Um Oh found it. Verse twelve. Okay. Okay. So let's start off by doing this. Big cow, read Revelation three eighteen. So this is to the church of Laodicea. So all this stuff is involving church that uh, aids things. So notice what it says here in uh, in verse 18. Uh, Revelation 3.18. I counsel thee to buy of me gold tried in the fire, that thou mayest be rich, and white raiment, that thou mayest be clothed, and that the shame of thy nakedness do not appear, and anoint thine eyes with eye salve, that thou mayest see. So there we, go. There we see. This is coming off the heels of, of the Lord saying, Hey, I know your works. They're neither hot nor cold. You're lukewarm. Makes me want to spew, spew you out of my mouth. All that stuff. Talking to the church of Laodicea. And he's saying, hey, man, I counsel you to buy me gold. Which, again, what is gold? Well, it's, it's eternal things. Okay? It is connected to faith. It's connected to investing our lives in the right things. Um, and, and we again, we, we find that, that cross-reference there in 1 Corinthians 3, which we just talked about, of gold, silver, and precious stones. Um. But then where I was also going with this is verse 12 of Revelation 3. This is, okay, this is what I believe. Let me just lay it out, and then I'll let Kyle, I'll let, uh, Kyle read the verse. I believe that at the, at the judgment, say we go to the judgment seat. Let's say that we receive reward. Praise God. We get crowns. We lay, lay those crowns back at Jesus' feet. But I believe it goes much further than that. I believe then... That, that the Lord will take those crowns because those crowns are made up of certainly gold. Those crowns are certainly made up of, like according to 1 Corinthians 3, precious stones. I believe he takes those crowns and I believe that that is what he uses to make up the walls of Jasper in New Jerusalem. So again, let's lay all this thing out. The timeline, we have the rapture. The rapture happens. Then at the same time, you got tribulation going on on earth, and you got the judgment seat of Christ in heaven. Then you have the marriage supper of the Lamb. Then Christ comes back. We follow him, and the millennium is set up. After the millennium and the great white throne judgment, what happens? He destroys uh, the earth, and he makes a new heaven, a new earth, and he also makes new Jerusalem. And we as the church will be in new Jerusalem. Now, new Jerusalem 
is the is the the place everybody always refers to as like the regular heaven now, but New Jerusalem is the place that will have uh, streets of gold and will have walls of jasper and gates of uh, of pearl and all those things. Okay, that's where we'll be for eternity after the millennium, the church uh, as church age saints. But this is why I believe that. According to Revelation 3, verse 12, Kyle's about to read that, but I, I believe it's clear here that those that overcome, okay, those that give their life for more than temporal things, give their life for eternal things, they receive rewards at the judgment seat of Christ, and then we lay those crowns back at Christ's feet, and then he then takes those to make the walls of Jasper and, and, and to make those beautiful things in New Jerusalem. Now, why would he do that? Well, I believe he would do that because what's the purpose of crowns to begin with? Well, they glorify Jesus. Well, in New Jerusalem for all of eternity, you know, there will be no more sun. The very light comes from the sun himself, Jesus Christ. He will be the light. There will be no need, no need for a sun, no need for moon. He will be the light. And so what happens when light is reflectant upon precious stones? Well, it's a, it's a, it's a beautiful thing. So I believe that Christ is allowing the very crowns that we have the ability to receive and then therefore lay back at his feet. I believe he is going to take those things and use those things, the very good works of his saints. He's going to use those things as the means to continue to reflect and glorify the Son for all of eternity. All right, so Kyle, go ahead and read that verse. I'm going to read verse 11 with it just because it mentions crown. (laughs) Okay, boom. Behold, I come quickly. Hold that fast which thou hast, that no man take thy crown. I'm in Revelation chapter 3, by the way. Verse 12. Him that overcometh will I make a pillar in the temple of my God, and he shall go no more out, and I will write upon him the name of my God, and the name of the city of my God, which is New Jerusalem, which cometh down out of heaven from my God, and I will write upon him my new name. So, we obviously, there's no doubt about it, this, this verse is connected with crowns, according to verse 11, as Kyle read. There's no doubt about it, this verse is connected to New Jerusalem, verse 12. There's also no doubt about it, this is referencing, uh, the crowns are referencing, new, or they're connected with New Jerusalem, and it's connected with somebody that overcomes. Somebody that is not caught up in this world system, not focused on, on temporal things. But notice he says that, I will write upon him the name of my God and the name of the city of my God, which is New Jerusalem. So in other words, he is building New Jerusalem upon these people. Well, how, how, is, that, how is that the case? Well, again, if you go back to verse 11, well, the way he's doing that is, is, is connected to these individual crowns. So I don't believe that Jesus is actually going to build New Jerusalem on top of me, and I'm going to lay underneath New Jerusalem and some kind of, con- you know, I mean, that, that's, that's obviously not happening. So I believe that's what he's laying out here. Again, Revelation 3, 11 and 12, study it out for yourself. I'm sure that sounds crazy to some people. But if that's the case, man, that's a big stinking deal. That's a huge deal. Because again, it's not just, we've, we, I have to get out of this mindset that it's all about, let me just, well, you know, I'm going to live it up down here, and I'm just going to, boy, that judgment seat of Christ, it's going to be bad. But boy, I'm just going to make it through it, and then, woo, you know, I'll take the paddle and then move on. You know, it's not like we're, like, in third grade getting paddles or anything, getting a whooping from our parents, like where as soon as you get the whooping, everything's fine again. No, it this stuff carries over for all of eternity. 
So again, how I do at the judgment seat carries over to how I do at the millennium. And therefore, I believe, carries over to how much glory we're able to reflect of uh, for Christ in eternity in New Jerusalem. Massive, massive deal. So, I didn't plan on going there. But those are, there's, so those are four things we've laid out so far. We've laid out, number one, the judgment seats for all believers. We've laid out that the judgment seat is to reveal our works. We've laid out that the judgment seat is a terrifying thing, potentially. The judgment seat is a day of rewards gained and things lost. Number five, I would lay this out that this is important, that the key to the judgment seat is what sort our work is of. Okay, so 1 Corinthians 3, 13 is where we get this. Now, um, this is why we need to go here. Because what the mindset it's easy to get in is, well, if I just do and, you know, if I just load up the truck of works, like if I just do so much for Christ, you know, then I'm going gonna, I'm gonna to do great at the judgment seat of Christ. Well, we believe that every word of God matters in the word of God. And I want you to notice this verse here again uh, in, uh, in verse uh, chapter, 1 Corinthians 3, verse 13. He says, Every man's work shall be made manifest, for the day shall declare it, because it shall be revealed by fire. Notice this. And the fire shall try, it's about to try our works, but notice what it says. The fire shall try every man's work of what sort it is. So it's like this. It's not, the fire is not judging the, the quantity of our works, but it's judging the quality. So again, notice it uses the word sort there. And so, again, it goes back to a few verses earlier where it talks about gold, silver, and precious stones, or wood, hay, and stubble. So it's like this. Every single work that we do after coming to Christ is either in one camp or it's in another camp. It's either in the right sort or it's in the wrong sort. It's either an, uh, it's either an eternal thing or it's a temporal thing. Now, this is why I say that, and this is why it's so important. We all know that even when we're doing the right thing sometimes, even though the, the very thing we're doing is the right thing, we know oftentimes that it's very easy to do the right thing for the wrong reason. So let's just say, for instance, this is something that I'm always cautious of and trying to examine my own life with. Let's say I'm serving God. Let's say I'm, uh, whatever, teaching the Bible. Let's say I'm doing a podcast called Caffeinated Bible Chatter. Okay, whatever, you, you fill in the blank. Let's say that you're serving the Lord Jesus. You know, at the end of the day, though, only you, only me, only within our own selves individually, we only know why we do what we do. So let's say again that I'm, I'm serving Christ, but I'm actually serving Christ for my own self-gain. I'm serving Christ, and it's not for His glory. I'm serving Christ, and it's not for the other other people. I'm ser- but I'm serving Christ for attention, or I'm serving Christ for uh, accolades, or for pats on the back, or for attaboys. Man, you know what that sounds like to me is that sounds like a temporal focus, even though the thing that I'm doing is the right thing. It's got the wrong motive. So according to this verse... Man, when it comes to talking about the sort of things, that does draw in the motive behind what we're actually doing. Which is a scary thing because I'm, you know, I always have to, you know, 
check up my motive. And I always, because if it was just about what we're doing, you know what, man, I could have the worst stinking attitude in the world and I could go out and do the right things and God would be like, I'm well pleased. Praise, you know, awesome. Uh, rewards are coming your way. But man, it's not the quant- it's not the quantity. It's the quality. So why am I doing what I'm doing? Again, there's so many people in Scripture that did things, but they did them for the wrong reason. My mind goes straight to Diotrephes, and I think it's 3 John, which talks about Diotrephes was, was connected to a church. Diotrephes was connected to the things of God, but it said that he, that he wanted the preeminence. So again, if, I'm, if I have the wrong motive, if, I, if I'm doing this because I want preeminence, if I'm serving Christ because I want to be somebody or I you know, want glory to my own name or whatever it may be, uh, man, according to it, it's not of the right sort. And even though I may do a lot of the right things, that sort's not going to work when the very eyes of Christ set, sets in on the works of my life and it won't pass the test and it won't result in rewards and it'll burn up just as much as if I had given my life to complete temporal things that we think about. And so I made this comment not long ago to some people, but I, I, this is all I know. When examining my own life and focusing my life on eternal things versus temporal, this is all I know. The last thing I want to do is do the things of God, but do it through a temporal lens. The reason is, I'm just going to be honest. There are other things that please my flesh more than the things of God. Like, uh, let's say that you're serving in a local church. I love serving in a local church. But serving, if I'm going to receive no reward from it because I'm doing it through the wrong, for the wrong reasons and the wrong motives, then I just assume stay on the golf course. If, I'm not, if it's going to burn up because it brings Christ no glory... And so that, that just really motivates me. If I'm gonna man, if I'm gonna if we're gonna invest our lives in the right things, praise God. But man, let's make sure we have the right motives. Let's make sure it's of the right sorts. It's it's the right quality. It's for His glory. It's for His name. It's for the mission's sake. Uh, and and man, that just that'll keep us on on uh, on track. All right. And then number six, the last thing I have I have laid out here. And then maybe we can hit that whole work thing that I was going to talk about in John 4. But, Big uh, Cal, if you want to go to Job, uh, oh, you're already there, Job 26. Um, yep. So number six, I have it laid out like this. I believe this is the study guide for the judgment seat. Okay, so we, we believe, um, we laid out the judgment seat, everything that's going on. Okay, so I always liked those teachers in school that gave me the study guides, but the study guides just had every question and every answer on it. I'm like, all right, I can, I can job with this. <laughs> well... I don't know for I don't know for sure, but a lot of people believe that this there's six questions asked in Job 26 in the first uh, two or three verses, and a lot of people believe that these are these questions or these type of questions will be asked at the judgment seat of Christ uh, to to us. Uh, so Kyle, go ahead and read that. Yeah, uh, Job 26. It's the first four verses. But Job answered and said, How hast thou helped him that is without power? How savest thou the arm that hath no strength? How hast thou counseled him that hath no wisdom? And how hast thou plentifully 
Wow, can't read. Plentifully declare the thing as it is. To whom hast thou uttered words, and whose spirit came from thee? All right, so um, for uh, six questions asked here. This is the simplest way that I would break these down. Five of the six questions all have to do with with uh, with investing the word of God in somebody. So verse uh, the, the the first two questions. Notice this. The first one says, "How hast thou helped him that is without power?" Well, what is that? How does that apply to us in the church age? Well, according to Romans one sixteen, the gospel, the death, burial, and resurrection, that is the power of God unto salvation to everyone that believeth. Okay, so somebody that is without power is somebody that has not received the gospel. So how have we helped? So if I want to do good at the judgment seat of Christ, how have I helped people that have not received the gospel? How have I evangelized? How have I led souls to Christ? All right. The second question seems to be along the same lines. It says, how savest thou the arm that hath no strength? All right, but this is what I would say about the rest of the questions outside of the very last one. I would say that the first one, the first question, and possibly the first two questions, this is not going to be a study on Job 26, but they deal with evangelism. Big deal in the judgment seat is going to be evangelism. Okay, the next several questions, they deal with investing the word of God into people in general. So this could be like discipleship, this could be teaching and preaching, this could be just sharing the word of God with souls that know Christ, that we know, uh, so notice it says, How hast thou counseled him that hath no wisdom? How hast thou plentif- uh, plentifully... I can't read it either, okay? <laughs> Declared the thing as it is. Okay, so how, what does it mean to declare something as it is? Well, he's talking about declaring this book as it is. So like, man, if, if I'm a teacher of the Word of God, whoa, man, I need to be checking up. Like, how have I declared this thing? Have I, have I given it exactly the way that, that God has intended for it to be given? Am I giving my own opinions? Am I giving the truth of Scripture? All right, but then I would say that the last question, okay, I would say that this is connected with the sort thing in 1 Corinthians 3. So again, we talked about the motives of why we do what we do. Well, notice this, it says, and whose spirit came from thee. What I would tell you is that this is analyzing, the, this last question has to do with our the very, the very spirit and the very attitude and the very motive of what we did or, or why we did what we did. Now, on a sidebar, when it comes to studying out spirit and the word of God, there's only three types of spirits that can, can influence a man. There's the Holy Spirit. There is an unclean spirit or a demon, a devil. Uh, or there is uh, our own spirit, the spirit of man. But I would know. I would. I would. If you're looking at it, the the word spirit there is not capitalized, which not always doesn't doesn't always mean something. But I would say this is this is man's spirit. And again, what I would say is that it's connected to you know what's what what kind of spirit did I have when I was doing what I was doing? Because um, we all know. I mean, if if you ever like work with somebody or or served along with somebody, sometimes. Sometimes the best people, at, like somebody can be amazing at their job or amazing at their task in, in ministry at, at the church or amazing at whatever. But if their spirit is hard to be around, their attitude, their, their, their demeanor, 
then man, it it's very putting off and it's very hard to deal with. So maybe you disagree with with that take. That's certainly fine. Uh, but those six questions, a lot of people believe that those six questions will be asked at the judgment seat of Christ. So, but this is what I can say for sure, and this is the way I would shut this thing down. And Kyle, you add add in uh, wherever you feel needed. But if you want to now go to that John four reference, John four thirty four. Um, so this is what we know without a doubt. We've laid out, so, okay, so we want to do good at the judgment seat of Christ. Well, maybe we need to analyze that Job 26 thing a little more closely. Okay, we want to do good on those questions so that we can do good at the judgment seat of Christ. Okay, but without, without a shadow of a doubt, this is what we do know. We do know, based on the references that we read, 1 Corinthians 3, 2 Corinthians 5, Romans 14, we know that we're all going to be at the judgment seat of Christ if we know Christ, and we know that it's going to be a judgment based on our works. So when you study out the word work or works in the word of God, this is what it really, it really, for a Christian, it brings you to these type of, these type of passages. So in other words, if I want to invest my life in the right work, I need to figure out what the right work is. So Kyle, if you've got uh, John 4, 34, you can go ahead and read that. Yeah. Jesus saith unto them, my meat is to do the will of him that sent me and to finish his work. So, Jesus came to do work while he was on earth. All right? And I believe the work he invested his life in is the work he wants us to invest our lives in. Now, uh, everybody's mind goes to, to John 19. Uh, what verse is that? John nineteen thirty, which talks about uh, the work of the cross. It says... When Jesus, therefore, had received the vinegar, he said, it is finished. And he bowed his head and gave up the ghost. Okay, that was a work that, you know, that had to be done, had to be finished. Uh, but that it was certainly a work he had to do. But if you go back two chapters in John 17, Christ says this in verse 4. He says, I have glorified thee on earth. He's talking to the Father. I have glorified thee on earth. I have finished the work which thou gavest me to do. Now, what's really interesting about that is he has not yet died on the cross where he says it is finished. He's talking about the payment for sin. But he tells the Father, hey, I finished the work you gave me to do. Well, what was that work? Well, specifically, it was investing his life into the, into the disciples. It was his three and a half years of earthly ministry. But in John 17, he lays out three specific things that, that is literally the entire mission for our life. And I believe it, it, if we'll invest our life in this work, then we'll do all right. And with, obviously with the right motive, we'll do all right when our works are judged at the judgment seat of Christ. So John 17, 4, we see that Christ finished the work. And this is what he, he tells the Father he has done. Verse 6, he says, I have manifested thy name unto the men which thou gavest me out of the world. So what does it mean to manifest the name of God? Well, he's talking about that, 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 that to us is connected with evangelism. We are to go and, and spread the name of Christ because Acts 4.12, there's uh, no other name given among men whereby we must be saved. And so we're to give his name. Okay, so that would that would have to do with evangelism. If I give my life to evangelism, I, I will do all right at the judgment seat of Christ. Verse 6 of John 17, I'm sorry, that was verse 6. Verse 8, he says this. After he's, he's manifested his name, he says, for I have given unto them the words which thou gavest me. 
Now, this sounds a lot like Job 26 with talking about investing in the Word of God, but this would have to do with discipleship. So not only does God want us to give our lives to evangelism, but he wants us to give our lives to discipleship. He wants us to invest the Word of God into people that have already received and called upon that name. So how am I doing in that? That is connected to the work of the Lord, which is connected to this judgment seat. Okay, and then the last one that Christ says he did is in verse 18 of the same chapter. He says, As thou hast sent me into the world, even so have I also sent them into the world. He's talking about things he's done. Well, so what does this look like? Well, this looks like as we've, as we've led a soul to Christ, we've discipled that soul, and then we send them out to do the same thing. Which is why I said at the beginning of this episode that that we the, the, the judgment seat doesn't happen until after the rapture, even if we die before the rapture, because we still have the ability to gain rewards based off of the work that people do that we've invested in. Even if we were not directly connected with the person they were investing in, we invested in that person initially. And so what does that look like to send somebody out? Well, it looks like to send out... Uh, somebody that you've personally discipled to go win other people to Christ and to disciple them. But in a greater context, it is connected with local church ministry, which has to do with like church planning and sending out people to invest the work of the Lord in other places. Okay, now that's a daunting task. But it, it suffices to say this, man, that those three things were connected with the work of the Lord according to, to Christ. It was connected to the work he did while he was on earth. And again, according to John 4, 34, the work of God, that was the meat of Christ. That's what fueled him. That's what motivated him. That is what gave him the energy to live life, according to John 4, 34. So, man, if I want my work, because same word there, and we believe you compare Scripture with Scripture using words and phrases and all that. If I believe that, or if I want to do well with the work, uh, with, if I want my works to do well at the judgment seat, then man, I need to invest in the right works for the right reasons. And the right works is the, the very thing that Christ did while he was here on earth, which by the way, it, it transfers over to the Apostle Paul. We're dispensationalists and we believe that Paul is our model and that Christ's ministry was about Jewish men. But notice, notice, and uh, you can listen to this reference, uh, Acts, I had it pulled up here somewhere. Um, no, I didn't. Acts chapter 12. I'll read this and then I'll be done. Uh, Acts chapter 12. No, it's Acts 13. You got a big guy? Uh, let's see. Acts 13, verse 1 and 2. Oh, 1 and 2. Yeah, I can read it. Okay, go ahead. Acts 13, 1 and 2. Now there were in the church that was at Antioch certain prophets and teachers as Barnabas and Simeon that was called Niger and Lucius of Cyrene. All these names are awful. Yeah, and, <laughs> Manane, which had been brought up with Herod the Tetrarch and Saul. As they ministered to the Lord and fasted, the Holy Ghost said, Separate me, Barnabas and Saul, for the work whereunto I have called them. All right, so there's the work again. And, and then verse 3, it says, And when they had fasted and prayed, they laid their hands on them, and they sent them away. So it's connected to local church ministry. But you know what the work is? It's missions. That's what Paul and, and uh, Barnabas was about to go do. They were going to give their life for the, the things laid out in John 17, to declare the name, to manifest the name of Christ to people, to uh, 
to make known the words that he's spoken unto him. All those things. And so, man, that is the very model for our life. That is the very reason we're alive. And I think if we invest our lives in those things, we'll do A-OK at the judgment seat of Christ. Big cow, that's all I got. That's it. That was good. That was good. Uh, now, just one last thing uh, that I wanted to say, uh, just as as life application, I guess. Um, two things I always say to our youth a lot, knowing that this judgment is coming, right? This this day is coming, and if you you listen to the the times of the rapture, when we think it's coming soon. Um, but there's there's two things. It's called your standing and your state, right? Our standing is permanent. Once we got saved. We're, we're always saved, eternal security. Our state, it, it, it may not be, right? That state has to do with our fellowship with the Lord, right? That, that's not permanent. So Paul tells us in 2 Corinthians 13, 5 to examine ourselves, right? And then in 2 Corinthians 7, 1, it says, let us cleanse ourselves from all filthiness. So this is a daily thing. Knowing this judgment, this judgment is coming, we need to, we need to examine ourselves daily. We need to cleanse ourselves daily. Galatians 5 tells us to walk in the spirit, not in the flesh, right? Whichever, whichever one we're feeding, we talk about those two natures, mm-hmm. feeding that spiritual side, right? Walk in the spirit, not in the flesh. And then Matthew talking about those crowns and stuff, lay up treasures in heaven, not, not stuff down here, right? This is, our, this is our temporary home. We're just Absolutely. passing through here. Absolutely. Um, but yeah, I thought that was a good episode. Yeah, thanks. Judgment so. seat. Um, we'll, we'll see y'all, see y'all in a week, uh, next Thursday for the next one.